Psalms 42, verses 1 to 2. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 18 to 19. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Thank you, Abigail, for reading that and getting us set up for for this morning. Um, I want to kind of have you to keep those scriptures as a background for uh, what we're talking about today. Um, So just as we kind of think about that and and just just keep them in our minds. Uh, I'm going to refer to some of them. And like last week, uh, I want the scriptures to to just be there in the background. So let's just pause and pray and ask the Lord to lead us. Father, uh, thank you for these words Thank you for this scripture. Thank you that um, your heart, your love, your direction is in these words. And um, Lord, I pray that we'd be open to hearing um, what we need, but also to hear what you think we need, um, what you know we need. And so we're just open to that and ask you that by the power of your spirit, um, you would speak uh, to our hearts and lives this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is awesome. How are you guys doing this morning? All right? Good. I've met some guests, and I know there's some first-time guests or some returning guests. If you guys don't mind, I'm going to move this monitor so, so you don't see me fall over at some point while I speak. Um, let me start off with this story. I have this neighbor down the street. We were walking, my wife and I, and we met one of our neighbors who was kind of fixing his grass in the summer, and we were talking, and all of a sudden we started talking about like sports for kids, and uh, his, his kids particularly. And he was talking to me and telling me that his kids were involved initially in hockey, but it just didn't work. His kids, his, he, had, he had two young boys, and they just did not like hockey. But he was determined to have them involved in some kind of sport. Um, so he told them this. He says, listen, you guys can score grab hockey if you want, but you have to choose a sport. I want you to be involved in some kind of sport, um, you know, as, uh, as young boys. So they chose two other completely different sports. I think one was interested in dance. One was interested in gymnastics. I think it was kind of like that. And so he just told them, Hey, here, what's the big deal? That's cool. Uh, so he, he said, I don't care if you don't like hockey, just choose a sport. And I loved hearing a little bit of what he was saying because he was determined, he was determined that some kind of physical activity would shape his kids. So he didn't want to just leave that to chance and leave it to like, well, maybe they'll go play outside or maybe they'll go uh, do something active. So he, he really didn't want to leave it to chance. I want you to think about his determination in particularly this area as we talk about this topic today. The last couple of weeks, we've been exploring this theme of devotion and really asking this question, what do you love? The first week we asked that question, it's on the screen, what do you love? And then last week we asked the question, what shapes what you love? It's not just important to ask, what do you love? 
And we, we took this kind of, you know, we wanted to kind of track what we love and track our habits to discern that. Then last week we asked the question, well, what shapes what you love? What shapes what you love? And we, we talked about the rival liturgies in our culture that battle for our attention, that battle for our devotion, that battle f- to shape what we love. And we had a fun look at the mall. And uh, I know some people, after they came to me and said, I'm, I have to go to the mall after, I'm sorry. Um, but anyways, if you have no clue what I'm talking about, listen to last week's podcast. You can get it on our website or on iTunes. And I would encourage you to listen to it. But we, we, said, we had this line last week uh, talking about our habits. And, um, and it said this, if habits shape what we love and habits are formed, then we ask the question, what forms our habits? If habits shape what we love and habits are formed, then we have to ask, well, what forms our habits? And that's why we talked about these rival liturgies. And we ended last week with a challenge to say, go and discern. Ask God to unearth in your heart, look at your calendar, look at your schedule, look at your commitments, and discern what liturgies, because we said something always will shape what you love. So he said, discern what liturgies shape your love. I'm not sure if you did that or not. I'm not sure if you discerned that or not. I know I've had some interesting conversations with some people this week around that. But it's so important because we think we know what we love. We think we know what we love, But too often, we leave it to chance. And we read this quote from James Smith. He said, we unconsciously learn to love rival kingdoms because we don't realize we're participating in rival liturgies. That first word, we unconsciously learn to live or love rival kingdoms because we don't even realize we're participating in rival liturgies. And there's this gap, right? There's this gap. I I feel this gap in my own life what I think or hope I want and what I really want. What I hope and think I want versus what I really want. And then there's this gap. Then there's this gap. A couple of years ago, I picked up this sign in Old Montreal. We were walking downtown with friends and we walked into one of the shops in Old Montreal and I saw this sign and I really loved it. Don't you love the snowman in the background? I noticed that after I took the picture, but isn't it kind of cute? Anyways, uh, let's focus on the sign though. So, Picked up this sign, I saw it, and I thought, I really love this. I want, I want to be reminded of this every day. It says, give like you have plenty. Give like you have plenty. And so, even sometimes if we don't feel like we have plenty, I love what the sign says. Give like you have plenty. And I bought this sign because I want to be generous. But here, here's the reality. I, I, sometimes I only think I want to be generous. And when I look at my life, sometimes I think there's... I'm not exactly living that out in the way I want to live it out. And so sometimes there's a gap. Like we have guests over and I ask my wife, so how much did that cost us, honey? And she tells me, and I'm like, oh, that was a lot. Like it was that much to like have that many people over, you know? Or we buy something for the kids and I say like, did they really need winter boots or something like that? And (laughs) just, anyways, so Franca often when I say silly things like that, she's like, Dave, why did you buy that sign? Like, why is it even up there? What's the point? And, and then I kind of, in my heart, I said, I know I, I bought the sign because I think, you know, maybe I think I'm a certain way, but I, I know I want to want to be generous. I want to want to be generous. You get it? And so there's this gap. And so at times we remind ourselves of who we want to be and what we want to be like, and we need those reminders. But here's the thing. It's not enough to just discern 
the liturgies that shape what we love. It's not enough to just discern it. You can't just stop at discerning. We must determine what shapes our love. We must determine and decide what shapes our love. So here's what I want to talk about today, is that we would come to this point where we determine what will shape what you love. That you don't just discern what shapes your love around you, but that you actually choose, become intentional to determine what will shape what you love. I want to go back to Psalm 42. We've been reading it over the last couple of weeks and letting it um, sit in our minds and our hearts. And I love this psalm because as we talked about it a few weeks ago, it establishes for us and for the psalm writer this longing for God, right? As the deer longs for streams of water, longs for a source of life and refreshment and hope and, and, uh, and sustenance, the psalm writer says, my soul longs for God. So we establish this sense of longing, of desire for God, this, this orienting love towards God. But as we read the psalm, and even just in this first couple of verses, the longing is actually not enough. Just the desire is not enough. Just to say, like, this is what I long for. And look what the psalm writer adds early on in the psalm. He, he asks this question. When shall I come and behold the face of God? This is like a question of, of almost like anxious hope. You know, it's like when, uh, if you have kids and, and they really get along with their cousins and then they say, like my, sometimes my nieces and nephews always say, Uncle Dave, when are you going to come to Toronto? You know, or when are we going to come visit you? You know, there's this, there's this question, this desire. When will we come hang out? When will we come and spend time together? And that's what the psalm writer is saying. He, he's described his, his, how his soul thirsts for God, for the living God. But then in this question, he really describes what he wants to do, what he needs to do. And he says, when shall I come and behold the face of God? See, there's, the whole psalm uh, has, has a part of it of, of a Jewish uh, believer who, who is longing to get to the temple and to be part of the, the community and practices, even the festivals that make up Israel's worship. It was their liturgy. It was their liturgy. It was the things they did and participated in, the, the place that they went to, the practices that they engaged. Because the psalm writer realized the longing is great, but when am I gonna when will I go and behold the face of God? When will I go and engage and be present with the Lord and participate in these practices that are gonna shape my love and my heart? Because we said this last week, liturgy is loaded with a story that gives your life ultimate meaning. Every liturgy has a story that gives your life or wants to give your life ultimate meaning. We said this about the mall last week, the rival liturgies in our culture. And we, I'm sure you thought of some other ones that, that the, these liturgies or rituals or practices are loaded with a story to say, this is a good life. And then they shape what we love. But the psalm writer is saying, there's another place, other practices that will shape, I want to shape my devotion. And I want to call them formational liturgies. I want to call them um, not rival liturgies because we talked about that last week. We, we know that there's other things in our culture and in our life that battle for our devotion. But I want to talk about liturgies or a liturgy that forms us, that shapes us towards discovering who God is. And here's the thing, when you determine a liturgy, get, if you don't get anything else today, get this. 
When you determine a liturgy, you are choosing a story that shapes what you love. When you determine a liturgy, you are choosing a story that will shape what you love. That's guaranteed. Everything shapes, everything has a battle for our devotion. And when you determine a liturgy or rituals or practices, you're choosing a story that will shape what you love. Stories are so powerful. Isn't it true? Stories are so powerful. It's amazing when a good story um, starts um, getting traction in culture. There's a couple of TV shows that are getting traction. The first one I was thinking about was The Crown. Uh, it's talked about on radio, on, on you know, uh, you know, TV, and everybody's like, oh my goodness, I didn't know Queen Elizabeth had this kind of life, and people are just drawn to this, this series on Netflix and talking about it, and this story is like just telling people um, so much, and they're drawn to it. There's another story on TV that I've heard a lot about. It's the story, This Is Us. Have you guys heard about that show called This Is Us? And it's funny, when you hear some people who talk about it, they just love the show. There's this show about just the, the gripping lives of people. It's, it's, a, it's a family that, you know, you kind of go back into the past and then into the future and kind of see how their lives started and were shaped and how they're doing today and, and what they're struggling with. And it, it shows uh, them like a family that both loves and struggles, a family that was, bound, uh, was bonded together but then disconnected and now is getting reconnected again. And, and the story just speaks to people in such powerful ways. There's uh, the actor on, just on the far side over there. His name is Randall. And um, there's this one scene where, um, where Randall walks up on a rooftop at his business Christmas party. And he wants to tell the guy. He, he, just, he made a rash decision and he, he bought like a really expensive boat from a guy. And he's, his wife is like, what, why did you buy a boat? And uh, he's like, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll scrap it. I won't buy the boat. So he goes up to the top of the roof and he wants to tell this guy, the guy that he just bought the boat off, he's, he's, he sees him at the edge of the balcony, like 30-story building with his wedding ring, a, a note for his daughter. And Randall's like, oh gosh, this guy's gonna, this guy's gonna kill himself. And so he stops and he starts talking to him. And he starts listening to his story but then Randall starts speaking another story into his life. And he starts speaking a story that would, would stop this guy on the roof, hopefully from considering to take his life. And, and he says this one, one powerful line in, in this conversation he's having and just hoping that this guy won't jump. And he's just looking at him and talking to him. And then at one point he says, listen, I promise you, I promise you, if you love your daughter, if you love your daughter fully and, and with all of your heart and with all of your strength, I promise you that your daughter will eventually respond to you, will eventually forgive you, will eventually love you back. I'm telling you, if you, if you just love her. And, he says, and then he said, what kind, of, what kind of legacy or story are you going to leave her by seeing your body on Fifth Avenue? And that one story to this one guy completely changed him. He walked away. The power of a story to shape what we love, to shape our lives. James Smith says this, he says, our hearts are like stringed instruments that are plucked by story, poetry, metaphor, and images. There's something about story that shapes us. So today what I want to do is I want us to determine to let God's story shape what we love to let God's story shape what we long for, to shape our devotion. How do we do that? Well, I believe we need what I want to call a formational liturgy. 
Not the rival liturgies, not the rituals that battle for our our devotion, but a liturgy that'll really lead us towards the psalmist to say, my soul longs for the living God like a deer longs for streams of water. See, we need a liturgy that will give us what our soul really longs for. We need a liturgy that counteracts the rival liturgies in our culture. We need to be fueled with a story, God's story, that shapes what we love. And what we, the story I'm talking about is our worship. The liturgy I'm talking about is our worship, is, is, is Christian liturgy, is Christian practices. James Smith says this about Christian worship. He says, Christian worship faces this disturbing reality head on, recognizing the gap between what we think we love and what we really love. So what I want us to do today is I want us to say, do we recognize that our worship actually shapes us, shapes what we love, that what we do here connected to the body of Christ and engaged and immersed in his story actually shapes what we love? See, worship is not the latest song we sang or just some lyrics off a screen. Worship is not like the latest CD, because even worship in culture is getting popular. You know, some, some stream on social media was going on this week at how at The Voice, everybody's hands were lifted up in worship. You know, and I didn't watch the video, but I could tell that people get excited about that. It tingles, right? It's like, oh my goodness, people were worshiping Jesus on The Voice. You know, I don't know if that was the case or not, but I don't, I'm not just talking about a song or a moment or an experience or an expression, but the fact that our, our worship, our liturgy, actually tells a story. Because every liturgy has a story. And our worship tells a story. It's loaded with God's story. It's loaded with God's story. Here's a little summary statement of God's story. It's found in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse, verse 18. And we read it already. Abigail had led us through that. Here's a snippet of it. Here's a little summary statement. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Just in, in this paragraph, there's so much packed in this paragraph. The, the story of God found here. And, and especially this part I highlighted in verse 19. Just this small phrase that summarizes God's story. That God was reconciling the world to himself. You see God's initiative, God's desire... You see God's heart and purpose of of reconciling people to himself that have lost a relationship with their creator. God reconciling people to each other and he's done it by sending Jesus, his son. That's part of what we celebrate at Christmas, part of what we, we celebrate at Easter, part of what we see throughout the scriptures. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus. That is like the story, the summary of the story. And what we do every week, when we come together and we worship, we're, we're, we're using that script. Our worship actually has that script. And I want us to think about this, because often we don't kind of tear apart the things that we do here on a Sunday and why we do them and how we do them and what they do for you and me. It's actually infused with God's story to shape what we love. 
So if I were to say a script to our story, and I, I, found how, I found a great way how James Smith put this together, and so if you can put those four words on the screen, in a sense, when we think of what we do here as a church community on a Sunday, we do these four things. We, we gather, we listen, I'll get to what I mean by when I say we eat, we send one another out. Um, we have a script we, we, in a sense, we follow a liturgy. We follow a pattern that is infused with story. And just think about this. I want to just walk through each of them briefly. So when we come together, we gather. Even Ivan this morning, he came up, he called us together for a purpose. He called us to worship. And as the first song starts, we're, we're called into worship. We're called into engaging who God is. And we recognize, just like Paul said in Second in Corinthians um, 5, he said, all this is from God. All this is from God. When we start our gathering and we call people to worship, we are saying God is already at work. God's already initiated this relationship with us. God already sent Jesus, his son, for us. God has done so much. All this is from God. And we call each other to worship. And when we open our mouths, and whether it's through singing or through prayer or through scripture, it's this belief that God is already active and he's ready to pour himself into us. And when we're called to worship, we've already received the word from God. You don't even have to get into the gathering to receive a word from God. You've already received the word from God, that God loves you, that he initiated a relationship with you, that everything that has happened in Christ, he has done and he has been active. And it's also countercultural because we're here for him. I know some of the words on the screen sometimes use the word I or me or we, and it's true. We come together and I long to worship him, but ultimately we gather together because of him. He's the primary agent in our worship. And, and I want us to think about that, about that because we come to listen. Yes, we engage with one another, but we listen for what God is doing. When we gather together, we're called to worship God's already active. There's a piece of that that sometimes we like to ignore, and it's tough in our culture. It's this idea of confession. Because we love to come and just kind of just embrace and praise and, and like, you know, get affirmed. But there's this piece in, I think, our worship that's important, and it's confession. It's not getting saved all over again. If you've come to Christ and trusted in him and walking with him, it's not starting all over. It's not a confession to a person or a, or a church but it's, it's, it's really this. It's acknowledging in our worship that we live disordered lives, that our lives are often disordered, that our lives are often, we make detours and we fall into traps and often we don't go the full way that we'd love to go or we don't give like we have plenty, right? We, we, there's this, we come together and when we gather together, we're not just called to worship, but we're called to acknowledge that we have disordered lives and that even in grace and in Christ, we have often fallen in the journey and that we've been complicit to the systems of our world in some way or another. And that happens day to day. Think about this, you know, sometimes we talk about confession and we love to just um, kind of blanket confession, you know? I was talking about, we were talking about this in our community group and said, imagine we did, we got really specific with what we, with the kind of people we were in the last week. Like, let's say you've lied to your coworker four or five times in the week. Maybe you were deceptive. Maybe you, you just kind of slipped some things under and, and it, you know, and then you just pause and say, you know, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. And I just, I confess like where I fall short and, and that's good, right? But imagine you got really specific and you started to connect the dots in your week. And you said, God, 
I'm a liar. <laughs> that doesn't sound good, right? <laughs> that sucks. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm a liar. God, I've, I've been a deceiver all week with my coworker. I'm so, I've undermined them. Um, man, I've played them. I tried to manipulate them. All of a sudden, it's not a blanket statement, right? All of a sudden, it's very real. And it doesn't feel good, but it's so vital that we recognize the disorderedness of our lives. We talk openly and honestly, but here's the beautiful thing. When we confess, the scripture says, he's always faithful and just to forgive us. That when we come to him, even if we've been following him, there's mercy that is new every morning for us. Isn't that amazing? And that's part of what we do in worship. The part of confession is also the Lord working forgiveness in us. I love um, in, in the common book of prayer, it's not on the screen, just listen to this. And, uh, and, and you know, at times there's some words or phrases or prayers for confession. And, and, and just listen, if this was part of our, our, our worship, it says this, most merciful God, we confess that we've sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we've done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the, sake, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. And here's this, that's this part of confession, but it, there's a response to that. And it's listening to the Lord's voice over you saying this, Almighty God, have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. That's, forgive, that's confession and forgiveness. It's part of our worship. And it's an opportunity to hear the gospel over and over again. To be reminded of what we have, the story that fuels us. So that's part of our gathering. And I promise I'll be shorter with the other three. The other one is listening. That we come to listen. We, we open up the scriptures and God speaks to us. We, God's word gives us light for our path, gives us wisdom for our decisions. It, it, it unveil, check this out. God's word unveils the, the rival liturgies that want to shape our heart. Unveils the rival liturgies that want to shape our heart. You know, there's so many parts of scripture that when you read them, they just confront you and they, and they help you realize Oh, wow, this other story's been shaping me, not God's. You know, read a book like Daniel and Revelation, and people get caught up in like end times ideas and stuff. But you know, Daniel and Revelation was, was a word to their generation. For John, writing when the Roman Empire felt like a monster to them, Revelation wasn't just about saying what would happen one day, but it was critiquing the world around them and saying, the world around you is sucking you in to its source, to its story. And scripture does that. And scripture shapes what you love. I love hearing stories from Westsiders that say, you know, something comes up, they, they make a decision for their family or for their neighborhood or something. And I'm like, that's amazing, guys, that you've made this. Says, you know what? I just remember some of the themes in our gatherings. Uh, I remember a moment in worship where God, God got my attention. I remember a moment in our community group where we've had this discussion and it filtered into life decisions. So we come and we listen we also come and we eat. And what I mean by eating is we commune together, right? 
we, we spend time with one another. And not, not every week, but once a month, we come and we have the elements of bread and wine. We share the meal of breaking bread together and drinking wine together. And we, we, we reflect on Jesus' meal with his disciples. And at the table, we see the reconciliation that happens between us and God and us and other people. And so communion happens with God and community happens with people. And what that does, it's in 2 Corinthians 5, right? Paul says, God has been reconciling the world to himself. When we come to the table, when we come here, when we share with one another, we are celebrating that reconciliation. We're, 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 we're telling that story to one another. It's about peace and unity and reconciliation. I love the fact that at, that at the table, like, all the ground is leveled. All the ground is leveled for all of us. So we, we get, we're reaffirmed in our connection with God, but we are also, it's all level ground where we can look one another as, as brothers and sisters, as image bearers, and recognize we all fall short. And the, level, the, the ground is leveled for us. I love and worship that we're all one. I love that rich and poor can worship together. Those who, who their salaries enable them to tithe you know, thousands and thousands of years and those whose salaries uh, you know, enable them to, to, to tithe less. I love that like different cultures and languages and backgrounds, we can come together. That's what we do. That's what our worship is. That men and women and young and old can pray for each other. This shapes what we love. Our worship shapes what we love. And then the last one is our sending. Our sending. And Paul says, he says, yeah, God's been reconciling the world to himself, but he says this, you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That this would overflow to you. Later on, he says in verse 20, you're Christ's ambassadors. We're sent out. You know that happens in worship? That when we leave here, we're sent out. We're reminded that God has given us this beautiful reconciliation between us and him, between us and one another. And then he says, here, go give this to the world. Here, go show the world what this looks like. Here, go love one another. Here, go love your neighbor. Here, show the world what God has done in your heart and in one another's heart. And invite the world back in to to discover his love. That's the sending of our worship. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't go by yourself. I don't go by myself. God is with us. Jesus said, go and make disciples. I will be with you always. When we're sent out, we're never alone. One, we're a witness as a community, but then ultimately God's with us all the time. So when we worship, I want us to think about this. When we worship, this liturgy that we do on Sundays, we're gathering, we're listening, we're eating or communing together, we're sending one another out. And when we repeat this and live this, this shapes our love. This shapes what we love. And it combats the rival liturgies around us. Oscar Wilde said this. He said, learning to love takes practice and practice takes repetition. Why do we gather together? Why do we come weekly? Why do we worship all the time? Why do we call one another to worship when we come together? Why do we share the table together once a month? Why do we send one another out? Why do we listen to the word all the time? Why do we do that on, put that on repeat like a great song? Why do we do that? Because we want that story to shape our love, to shape what we love. James Smith says this, Christian worship doesn't just teach us how to think. It teaches us how to love. And it does so by inviting us into the biblical story and implanting that story in our bones. In our bones. 
So the story in worship, in song, in prayer, in conversation, in sending, it recalibrates you and me. It renews us. It restores us. It reshapes us. It reorients us into the, the life that God has in store for us. That's why we come together. That's part of the purpose. So here's my, here's my call to you. I'm going to ask the team to come up because I'd like us to end in a, in a time of worship and song. But I want, here's my call to you and to me too. Let's determine what will shape what we love. Let's not just discern. Like it would be horrible to sit there and say, yeah, yeah, the, the mall really, really like, that's, that kind of like, that really shapes what I love. I got to figure that out. Or, yeah, you know what, like, I get it. Like, just the entertainment world, like, that, I get, you know, that, that shapes my love in a certain way. Or it, It's not enough just to discern. It's not enough just to recognize and say, these other things shape our love. Our call is to determine what will shape what you love. And we can start that right here. We do that right here in our gathering from week to week in community, in the practice of worship, telling the story over and over again, the story of God reconciling the world to himself. And you know, here's the beauty. We, we need, I need you. You need me. We need one another. We all need God. And we practice this worship liturgy together. We're going we're gonna to take some time and, 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 and actually sing together as a close. But just as the team starts this next song, um, I came across a book last year, a, a wonderful book. It was, it was called Still. It was written by uh, a girl named Lauren Winner. And she writes, the subtitle is um, Life in the Middle. And she describes that because if you would have read Lauren Winner's story of coming to faith at the age of 19 from a, from a mixed Orthodox Jewish um, background, lapsed, half-lapsed Baptist background, whatever, she just... She, she discovered God in a fresh way at the age of 19, and she started following Jesus, and, and her, her, her just life for seven, eight years was amazing. You read her story uh, called Girl Meets God, and it just tells you that amazing thing. Seven years later, she writes a wonderful book called, um, uh, I think it was called Mudhouse Sabbath, where she, she just journals, like, looking back at her Jewish roots, and, and now from a, as a Christian, and seeing all that God has done in that, and just, you read part of these two books in her life, two or three books, you're like, amazing, amazing story of grace, you know? And then she writes this book called Still because something happened in her life. She ended up, she ended up getting married and uh, it, within three weeks, the marriage failed. Three weeks, just crumbled. She was so distraught. She, she teaches religion at Duke University. <laughs> you know, smart girl, um, had a genuine experience with Christ. And then like, her life just crumbled around her. And I read this, you read this book still, and, and th- there's a couple of moments where she says, uh, I, w- I would, one thing I didn't want to do was disconnect myself from my church community. And um, she's like, I didn't care if it was a potluck and I just bring cookies or whatever it was or a group. But she would talk about the gathering where they would come to gather together. And she said, for several months, the prayers and the scriptures and the songs, they just, they, for a while, they did feel dry. But it was in the middle, she called it the middle of this mess in her life. She says that liturgy slowly, slowly started to rework in her life again. 
and started to help her discover what she really loved and who she really was in Christ. And she looks back at that moment and she's so grateful. She's so grateful for even though, even though she could have kind of turned away, even though in a dark moment in her life she could have said, you know, just scrap all this, God. She continued allowing the liturgy fueled with God's story to shape her heart. And, and it just it took her through that time. Took her through that time. And she describes it as something that was so transformational with her, even though sometimes it felt like the liturgy was in the shadows. It was just quietly there, but it was doing something in her. It makes me think of Augustine, a church leader in the fourth century. A chunk of his life, he would describe his life as someone who didn't love God. And he spent his life looking for love in all the wrong places. One day he discovers the scripture in a fresh way. And he starts to follow Jesus. And he says this, and I think this, this kind of helps us describe like what we find in a worship liturgy. But he ended up saying these words after discovering Christ. He says, you have made us for yourself. Talking to God, you have made us for yourself. And our heart is restless until it rests in you. You've made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He's echoing Psalm 42, my soul longs for you, Lord. He's echoing Matthew 5, 6, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, find rest and purpose. So as we close our gathering today, I'm going to invite you um, to take a moment and worship. Let's take the attention off ourselves and put it on God and say, Lord, I want your story to shape my devotion. And let's take this moment and acknowledge God, the primary agent in our worship. We're here for him. God, we, we have gathered here, called into worship because you have already, you have already initiated your work, your love. You've already established your plan. You have sent Jesus already for us. We gather here around that truth. And we come with open hearts and honest hearts in a confessional way. Even with all the particulars of the disorderedness in our lives, God, grateful for your mercies that are new every morning. And God, we discover communion with you and community with each other. As we break bread, as we talk and pray with one another as at times we share a meal or share the elements of the wine and bread. God, we are grateful for the ministry of reconciliation. You have reconciled us to yourself in Christ. And God, you send us out with that ministry. May we invite the world to discover your love. May we invite the world to discover the hope that they long for. Use us in that, Lord Jesus. take a brief moment and I want to give you just a minute to determine in your own heart what will shape your love, what will shape what you love. Just take a moment with the Lord. Let him know. So Lord, we invite uh, your Holy Spirit to Speak uh, in us. Help us to see the things that battle for our devotion. And um, Lord, together we determine, we determine that 
um, worship loaded with your story is what we want to shape what we love. God, we determine that and we affirm that. We proclaim it together today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.